Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'll start with your favorite topic, intermittent fasting. Right. Uh, so tell us about your supplement, supplementary drinks and a bit more about your intermittent fasting routine. My supplementary drinks. Supplementary drinks. Uh, I'm not sure I can talk and film at the same time. How do you f***ing do that? Good question. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question again? Tell us about your, <laughs> your supplement, supplementary drinks and your My IF supplementary routine. Supplementary drinks. Uh, I, um, I only have really... Actually, no, I have two drinks that I have every day. Uh, the first drink that I normally start the day off and I normally have two of these is uh, apple cider vinegar. Uh, and hot water. Apple cider vinegar is an incredibly powerful uh, antioxidant. It's a great cleanser. It's really powerful for cleansing out the liver. Um, and also, yeah, just keeping the liver in check uh, and also keeping the gut, gut bacteria in check as well. Like an, a really important thing for me is gut bacteria and gut health because the, the stronger your gut health, the stronger your brain health, the stronger your immune system in general. So for me, uh, apple cider vinegar every single day uh, is something that I start off with. And then I also, when I'm performing, and by performing I mean um, like when I do my stage dance, <laughs> uh, I have ketones. Uh, and ketones for me, it just it, it essentially accelerates the process of um, putting ketones in the bloodstream. And, and ke- the whole process of intermittent fasting for me is really about becoming ketogenic. I don't follow the ketogenic diet but I do follow um, a diet where I typically eat within a window of about four to six hours every day. So normally I'll have my first meal every day at around uh, one, between one and two o'clock, which is normally quite a significant meal. I'll normally have about 250 to 300 grams of salmon, uh, as well as 200 to 250 grams of uh, baby octopus, 250 grams. <laughs> Not that I'm weighing my food or anything. For me, training just for the sake of training, for the sake of being healthy, it's a reason. But I'm, I'm quite, as you guys know, I'm quite obsessive. You know, I like to do things. I don't do things a little bit. I'm, I'm like binary. I'm either all in or I'm not. And so for me, with my training, um, you know, I've been incredibly disciplined with my training, which is I'm getting back to the diet in a moment. And so for me, um, I eat between a very small window. I normally train every day fasted. So whenever I train, which is three to four days a week. I'm normally training anywhere between 10.30 in the morning and one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and that is, by the way, after finishing my last meal at 6.30 the night before. So I'm training in a fasted state, which is actually, uh, it's quite a feat in itself because it can be quite, cha- quite challenging because uh, you don't necessarily have the, the highest glycogen levels in your muscles. You don't necessarily have the highest levels of uh, you know, available carbohydrates in your bloodstream. But what it does do is it actually increases the, 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 the fat adaption process. So for me, as I said, I'm eating between um, 1, 2 p.m. every day and 6 p.m. every evening. By fasting for at least 18 hours every day, okay, it forces my body to go into ketosis, which means rather than me using sugars for fuel, uh, my body actually starts using fat sources for fuel. Now, who here, does anyone here get peaks and troughs with their energy levels? Okay, the reason you get peaks and troughs with your energy levels is because of the, the, the diet that your body is accustomed to eating determines the way that your body burns its fuel and the way it uses its fuel. So if you're eating like high carbohydrates, if you're eating quite regularly, uh, you know, that'll raise your blood sugar levels. And as a result, your, your body gets used to working with high blood sugars. And so you're using blood sugar, you're using sugars, okay, as a form of energy. Once you start to remove simple sugars and, and certain forms of carbohydrates from your body for extended periods of time, your body be- moves into what's called fat adaption. So instead of being sugar dependent, you become fat adapted, and then all of a sudden, you don't have these peaks and troughs with energy anymore, you just have this consistent energy all the time. And what's most interesting is my highest, my peak energy levels are always at between 12 and one, right before I eat. They, that's when I'm, I have the most energy. 
Um, and I, I literally don't need coffee. Oh, you guys probably saw the K days where I had coffee. It didn't fucking end well. Oh, my um, God. Not good. I don't need it with my constitution. Uh, so anyway, getting back to the actually what I eat, I'm eating yeah, 300 grams roughly of salmon for lunch uh, with 250 to 300 grams of baby octopus, 250 grams of uh, sweet potato, uh, 30 grams of soft uh, goat's cheese, and then I normally two hours later I have my second meal. Now that meal, by the way, is probably close to about 1,000 calories, so it's quite a significant meal. Like it is literally probably three meals for most people. Oh, and a salad. Um, <laughs> got to get your greens um, and then two hours about two hours later I'm having a shake which is almost another thousand calories as well and that shake it's roughly probably around sitting around 80 grams of protein in that shake I'm having collagen protein uh, pea protein um, and then I also have a couple of rice crackers with some some butter and some <laughs> I love my rice crackers uh, it's basically butter, like fucking popcorn <laughs> yeah, yeah, rice crackers, and then for dinner, I'll normally have like a large, uh, like a 350 gram piece of chicken uh, with a little bit of sweet potato and a salad. So right now, I'm consuming anywhere, depending on the training day, between 2,400 to sometimes 3,200 calories a day, but I'm averaging about 2,400 to 2,800 calories per day uh, most days, uh, and that's why I'm probably carrying a little bit of excessive, uh, excess body fat right now. Th I think that was a bigger answer. That was a huge answer. Somebody's who's passionate about it, as you can see. I'm a little bit excited. Yeah. Did you? Did anybody see the K-Day recently? If you want to know more about his body composition, we, <laughs> there's a oh, whole I episode the on the scan, scan, actually. That was yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Next question. Emily Vernon. Have you ever felt scared of getting what you really want? If so, how do you overcome that fear? Uh, yeah, look, I think days gone by, I have been uh, fearful of achieving what it is that I wanted. And I think more often than not, that was probably related to a sense of self-worth. Um, is anyone, can anyone here relate to being afraid of achieving what it is that you want? Uh, I think that's twofold. I think firstly it comes down to, so, well actually I think it's probably three. I think sometimes we're afraid to get what we want because then we might lose it. Uh, I think sometimes we're afraid to get what we want because we don't think we deserve it. And I think sometimes we're afraid to get what we want because we're afraid of what people will think, either consciously or unconsciously. You know, and everyone's motives for fear um, will often be different, but I honestly believe they're rooted in one of those three things. For me, you know, I, I've, I've had to work on all of those issues. You know, I've had in the past massive self-worth issues. I've had massive issues around, um, you know, what I, 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 my concern about what other people think. But one of the things that I observed when I started studying wealth, I started studying wealth about um, 22 years ago. 20, 21 years ago, I started studying wealth. And by wealth, I mean the biographies of the wealthiest people in the world, uh, self-made, you know, millionaires, multimillionaires and billionaires. And one of the key characteristics that I saw in all of the research that I was doing was these people had a very high, dis a very high disregard for other people's opinions. Like they honestly didn't care what other people thought. And uh, I guess it's, it's, it's less about, um, they didn't care what people thought. You know, I saw a very high incidence of interest and curiosity in the thoughts of other people, but a very high level of disregard for the emotional attachment to what other people thought. And so for me, you know, I'm very much a practitioner when I'm learning, so I've had to go through the process of literally just condi conditioning myself and practicing, uh, not caring what people think. And so for me, once I got past that, yeah, it was less about the fear of being successful uh, and then working on, because we've got the fear of success, but we've also got the fear of, but we're fucked both ways, right? <laughs> we're either scared of success or we're scared of failure. And I've had to work on both. Uh, but I think it's an incredibly, look, it's an incredibly rewarding journey because the more work that you do on those fears, you're not really working on the fears. What are you working on? 
you're working on yourself. And by through the process of working on the fears, what are you getting to know more about? Yourself. Like this whole, like I, I think I can summarize personal development with like 99% of personal development can be summarized with two words. Self-awareness. The more aware you become of self, the more you understand you, the more you understand what you're afraid of, the more you understand what your drivers are, the more you understand what the things that are important to you, the more you understand what your triggers are, you know, emotionally and stress, the easier it is for you to navigate the world. And so for me, you know, I honestly believe that the greatest gift that you can give yourself and even give your children is the gift of presence and the gift of, you know, self-audit, the gift of being able to reflect on self consistently and consciously in a proactive way, not a destructive way. Because I think there are a lot of people who are quite self-aware, but they're quite self-aware in a destructive way. You know, they can be very conscious of who they are and conscious of the things that they do, but rather than looking, looking at it from an equanimous, an, an equanimous perspective and seeing both sides, people might be aware of their own behaviours, but they'll judge themselves. Uh, and that, to me, is a symptom of self-awareness, is as you start to get to know yourself, you'll start to see things you don't like. And as you see things that you don't like, you'll be tempted to judge yourself. And that's where it's really important to take an equan like being quite equanimous, or e what's the word I'm looking for? Is it equanimous? Equinous? Equ equanimous? And equanimous? I don't know. Being balanced. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll in that. your perspective and realizing like for every for everything you don't like about yourself there's something that you will like about yourself for every bad thing about you there's something good about that uh, and for me that is a, that is that's, it's it's not even a concept anymore it's a it's a reflex action it's you know it started off as a ritual of every time I would look about look at something I didn't like about myself I'd balance it out with something I did like about myself or I'd look at something a, a negative trait and I'd go okay well what's the benefit of that negative trait and after that that ritual over time became a habit and that habit literally now is just a way of being like for me anymore I don't have to try to balance my psychology out it just happens naturally you know and that's the thing, it's, it, it does still require a little bit of effort to show up and a little bit of effort to promote, to provoke the thought, but for the most part, it becomes very autonomous behaviour. And for me, yeah, I think the easiest way to create any form of lasting change is getting your behaviours to, to, getting your behaviours to become as autonomous as possible, as quickly as possible. And for me, the way I do that is through rituals, okay, by actually having rituals uh, and using structure uh, and, and, uh, and structure and discipline around those rituals to ensure that they're repeated on a regular basis. And this is where I, this is where I fucking win 99% of the time because I'm <laughs> obsessive. And so for me, you know, I'm OCD when it comes to psychology. And so I'll sit there and I'll recite, you know, when I first started, you know, identifying what my story was and I started to recode my story, I literally came up with originally what was called the Ten Commandments. And most people who do this process, they might come up with Ten Commandments or Ten Commands that they want to suggest into their brain to reprogram themselves to create and achieve other things that they want. But then they might read it two or three times. I would sit there and fucking, I would read it out like 50, 60 times a day. And sometimes that was just in the morning. I'd drive around in my car. I'd flip the rearview mirror down. I'd have my Ten Commandments. I'd sit there and I'd fucking, like I literally just obsessed to the point of completely transforming my psychology and I mean completely transforming my psychology just through the obsession of the ritual and the habits but it's about obsessing for me on the rituals that are actually uh, procreative uh, and not you know pro-destructive if that is even a fucking word yeah well that comes to me is acceptance yeah a hi high level of acceptance for who we are and it's a lot easier to accept who we are when we can see both sides Anna Foley asks, how do I let go of hey, my Anna. father's entrepreneurial success whilst honouring him? Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, look, I, I think, I, I think 
the greatest honor that you can give any parent is the gift of is the great the same thing that the greatest honor that a parent can give any child is the gift of love and acceptance mm. now, the greatest way that you can honor anyone is through accepting them for who they are um, and in terms of letting them go I, I think sometimes the challenge that we have especially maybe in a, in a parental context is you know if we put someone up on a pedestal uh, we, we create two issues whoever we put on the pedestal often ends up in the pit but whoever we put on a pedestal, we create this level of contrast between us and them that sometimes creates this chasm that we think is insurmountable. You know, and so for me, you know, I'm, I'm one of the things that I like to do, whether it be you know, a father in this instance or Richard Branson or Elon Musk, is I'm always looking to put someone on my level. Does this make sense? Because whoever we put up here, we, they're out of, whenever we put someone up here, they, they become out of reach. And one of the things I've observed, and you'll observe this yourself, if you, if you apply a level of awareness to the people that you study, if you're interested in studying wealth, start studying wealthy people. Start reading the biographies of wealthy people. Like I've read hundreds of biographies of some of the wealthiest people in the world. You know, one of the greatest biographies that I've, re I've read was called Titan, which was 858 pages of the life story of uh, John D. Rockefeller. And what was interesting is I read this book and it was like the, the, the fucking audio is like 72 hours. Like it's a fucking, no, oh 36 God. hours, 38 hours. It's... It's, it's epic. But the whole time I was reading the audio and reading the book, I was constantly, the same, and I did the same thing when I first started reading uh, you know, Richard Branson's biography and Elon Musk. Every biography that I read, I'm looking for traits that I have that they have. So when I'm reading about Elon Musk and I read a, a, you know, a section about how he's so obsessive about the things that I have to go, oh, I'm just like that. Or if I'm reading about Richard Branson, about how he's dyslexic and he has the, you know, the inability to, to, to read things properly, I go, oh, I'm just like that. So as I'm studying people, I'm not putting people on a pedestal. I'm constantly trying to bring them down to my level by looking for relativity and by looking for a relationship between what traits do they have that I have as well. And when you start to do that, you start to bring people into, into the realm of, okay, they're no longer up here, they're here. And when they're here, th there's no chasm, there's no, there's no gorge, there's, it, it's, it's achievable. And that, for me, has probably been one of the greatest things that I would suggest to uh, I Yvonne. No, it was... Um, Anna, Anna. In, this, in this scenario, is, you know, rather than you know, comparing yourself to your dad, if that's what you're doing, start looking at what it is, the traits that your dad has that you respect and start seeing them within yourself. Because, again, that's a great, a great form of respect is starting to identify what you, what you love about others within yourself. And the more you can accept what it is that you love about others that they have within yourself, the, the, the higher level of respect you have the, for the people that, you know, that, that, that put that in you in the first place. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers.